Hey, this is Pastor Mark. You do not want to miss this week's podcast. You're going to laugh till you cry, but it's good tears. They're good tears. So, man, tune in. Listen to this podcast. It's going to inspire you, encourage you, and, and prayerfully help bring change that you desire in your life. God bless you. Thanks for listening. I want to encourage all of you watching online from wherever you are. I know it's summertime. We got soccer, baseball, vacations, weddings, all of that. Never have a season of your life be void of giving time to God. Uh, I, I say this regularly, and, and my wife will vouch for it. I listen to probably five to ten sermons every week, not my own, uh, just because I want to invest in my life, and, and I want to invest in being everything God wants me to be, but I also want to make an investment into receiving everything God has for me to receive. And if we don't hear, we don't develop our faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So I've been talking about favor, and uh, favor is a very difficult uh, thing to receive sometimes because we oftentimes measure the good things that God does against the good things that we do or the bad things that we do. We measure whether or not we deserve to have what God has for us and what he's promised to us. And the real challenge here is we all know when we are avoiding listening to that still small voice and going, you know, God, I know I shouldn't do this or maybe I should be helping someone I'm not helping. And all of a sudden we realize that we're not doing everything in our power or everything that we can do to be everything God's called us to be. Now, favor is connected to our, I believe, our desire and will to do the will of God. Now, there's a difference in favor and salvation. Salvation comes when we call on the name of the Lord and we believe in him, we put our faith in him. Blessings come in favor, if you will, as a result of uh, being as obedient as we know how to be. Um, and this is where I, I struggle a little bit because it, it can come off as works, but it's not really works, it's obedience. And, and you say, well, isn't obedient, uh, obedience and works, aren't they all one the same? No, they're not. Uh, I can obey God because I want to obey God, and the desire just at the end all is I just want to obey God. Regardless of what the outcome is, I want to obey God. However, work says, I want to do this so I can get God to do something for me. And, and so I, I'm going to work at it, and because I work at it, God owes me. First off, God owes us nothing. And so this becomes the difference. Is, and so last week, I talked about uh, deserved validation or undeserved validation which is what God extended to us is an undeserved validation of how much he loves us how much he cares about he validates us as people even when we don't deserve it so Psalm 512 my favorite passage one of many for surely O Lord you bless the righteous you surround them with your favor as with a shield so we are surrounded covered if you will by God and, the, and, and his, his love for us never changes. And so it's undeserved validation, validation from God to us. But today, I want to talk about something just a little different, undeserved invalidation. 
God does not deserve to be invalidated. His word is true. It's accurate. It's right. And you say, how do we invalidate that? Well, we do it by speaking the opposite of what his word says. So I could look and say, nothing good ever happens to me. I'm invalidating God by, by making that statement, nothing good ever happens to me. Well, God happened to you. He happened for you. And so with that said, you know, it's good things do happen. Now, you may be struggling with some things and having some difficulties, but we have to be very careful about what we say. You guys know me in words. I'm, I'm real big. Words do matter. Some people just think they can say whatever they want, and they just fly off their mouth. is just always running and saying really stupid stuff. I am real big on being very careful about what I say because if I say something that contradicts the Bible, then in that moment, it invalidates the promise and truths of God. It doesn't change him. It changes me. And it prevents me from getting what I think what I know the promises of God are offering to me. So you may be going through a hard time. You, can, you know, people say, well, I'm just broke. I'm going to be broke the rest of my life. You're speaking to your future. You're probably right. You're going to be broke the rest of your life because you're going to have what you say. It's very, very important that we grasp this today. We invalidate God when we say things that discount God's promises we invalidate those promises in our lives. For instance, this is a validation. If you say, well, I, I, just, I just hope I get to go to heaven, hold it. What If you said, I prayed the prayer, all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you say, well, I sure hope I get to go. That's an invalidation of a promise that God said, if you call on his name, you're saved. I'm not going to heaven because you like me and think I'm good or you agree with everything I do or say. or It's not going to happen. I'm going to heaven because I've accepted the work of the cross. So if somebody says, well, I doubt if you're going to make it. I'm like, I'm not going to stand before you. I'm going to stand before God. You might want to look in the mirror and question yourself, Mr. Judge. Because I know what the Bible says. Now, there are things I don't like, but I know are true, so I just don't even contradict those either. There are things I, I wish we didn't have to, to follow. You know, I think if, and what I love about the Bible is, you know, the Bible says don't return evil for evil, bless those who curse you. Those are things we're supposed to do, but our flesh doesn't like them. Then I go to the scripture that says vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and I get real happy. Because it's no longer my problem. It's his problem. And I'm going to leave that to him. Now, here are some things I say. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. This is a validation of God's promise. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. So you need to develop some I am's in your life instead of I am not's in your life. I am a child of God. I am the apple of his eye. I am born again because I've called on his name. These are the things I say even in the bad times, not because I deserve anything, but because he gave his life for me and promised me that if I would do these things, he would extend to me all of the promises 
and they're all yes and amen in Christ. Then, now, here are just a couple of I cans. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can. I can run through a troop and leap over a wall. Hallelujah, hallelujah. These are just scriptures, just a few that I, I look at and I go, you know what? I am who he says I am. I can do what he says I can do. But we invalidate these things when, you know, you, we start talking bad about I'm so stupid. Oh, really? But if somebody else called you that, you would get mad. But you can call yourself stupid and you're okay with it. Well, you shouldn't be okay with calling yourself stupid. Now, you can say that was a stupid decision because smart people make dumb decisions. But just because you make a dumb decision doesn't make you dumb. Just because you make a stupid decision doesn't make you stupid. It just means a decision. So what we do is if we're not careful, we label ourselves instead of the action. You don't want to label yourself like that because you're not stupid. You have the mind of Christ. And that's what I say even when I do something dumb. I have the mind of Christ. Why would you dare do that? I will forgive. I will obey. I will give. I will serve. These are all things that validate the authority of God in your life. And that's really what we're doing. And, and oftentimes, people just really discount God, and even Christians discount God, and even people, regular church attenders say things that nullify God's word and work in your life. So if you want favor, these are just some things I want you to, to think about. So 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we become the righteousness of God, not by our works, but by accepting his work. And if you don't think the words you speak are important, I'm going to read a passage to you this morning that will cause some of you to think in legalistic ways, or some of you will think, wow, that's just, that really is tough. And I, because I want to get this, I want to get this imparted to us today. In Numbers chapter 14, uh, this won't be on the screen, Jacob, because I didn't give this one to you. Uh, Numbers chapter 14, it's, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? God is saying, you're not just grumbling, but you're grumbling against me. Did I not tell you I would take you to the land of promise? Did I not tell you that land would flow with milk and honey, that it would be the most blissful place ever? And yet you're grumbling en route to your destiny. You can't get to where God wants you to go by invalidating God's word that told you to go there. There are moments and seasons in time that, that are challenging, that challenge our faith, that cause us to question God. I'm not saying none of us should ever, I mean, we'll all question God at times. I mean, we really will. We don't want to, but, but we question, God, why is this happening the way it's happening? We have to be very careful to say, I know that you're going to work all things together for good because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. Those are words we speak to validate God, but when we start talking and grumbling like Israel was doing, what we're really saying is, I don't believe. 
and without faith, it is impossible to please God. So oftentimes we get hurt, and, and we are hurt for a long period of time, and all we ever talk about is our pain instead of his promise. When I find myself in certain pain, or in the summer times, I've been pastoring now for longer than I ever dreamed I could, and you go through these seasons, and especially June. June is that time where people say, I'm abandoning everything, and I'm just going to get out of here. And I think that's good. You go on vacation. But as a pastor, look, we live and breathe to build the kingdom of God. So in June, I just have to declare things that really, if you didn't know God, you would think I was lying. You say things to people that, well, that's just not true. Well, it's not true yet, but it's going to be true. Because I'm believing and I'm declaring. Now listen to this. God says, I have heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. Let's see, God hears all things. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall, every one of you, 20 years old or more, who has counted in, was counted in the census and who has grumbled against me. Now, I know this is not the hallelujah and amen and stand up and shout scripture you want. But I am exhausted when I hear people invalidate the promises of God. And, and pretty much just say, well, I know what it says, but it's never happened for me, never happened to me. And you begin to measure God against what you've experienced instead of what you could possibly experience. You may be experiencing really bad things right now. You may be going through a drought spiritually, emotionally, mentally. And it may be a desert for you. Israel could have made it from Egypt to the promised land, theologians debate, but somewhere around two and a half weeks, and they spend 40 years. Why? Because of this. Grumbling and discounting and invalidating what God told them he would do. You know, if you have, if you have a pain in your body today, and you keep talking about that pain, it's not going to change. So why are you talking about it? So everybody else can know? Or you can just let, let hell have a celebration that you're in pain? Every now and then when I have a pain and I've got some pain and, you know, and I, 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 I'm believing for healing every day. For me to sit around and talk about the hurt that I have is not changing anything. But when I start talking about the power of God, and the promises of God, and I start declaring those, it changes things. And you say, well, do you, what if it's never well? I'm still better because I believe. My attitude is better. But some people use pain in a negative way to get attention from people, but you don't get the attention of God in pain. You get the attention of God in faith. Now, he'll hear you, but if you really want God's attention, start telling him what he said. He told Isaiah, call me into remembrance of my word. God's saying, quit talking about everything going on around you and start imparting what I promised in you. This is why we come to church, because 
all you have to do is turn on the news for five minutes and you can be so depressed that you need Xanax. Because you're listening to negativity and doubt and fear and unbelief. And, and this is what even a lot of religious people do. They just go, you know, it's going to get worse and it's probably never going to get better. I look and say, I cannot lose. Kill me and I get to go to heaven. So what we do is we talk about our pain instead of talking about God's promises. And here's, he said, you're going to have the very thing you said. The size of the gap between our prayer and his answer is determined by our commitment to his validation. Or to our believing in what he says. That's the distance. You know, I haven't seen near what I want to see here. I haven't even seen near. And, and I could give up. I could quit. I could walk away and say, God, I gave it my best, but you haven't done your part. Oh, come on. Don't act like you've never said that before. God, where are you? You haven't done. You're not doing your part. We show up. We do this. And we're getting the same thing. And I'm looking and saying, devil, you better be in shape because I will outlast you. I will stand against you. I will never give up, give out, or give in. I will stand my ground in faith believing the promises of God. You'll have what you say. I say all the time, this auditorium's filled. I don't care about the pandemic, and they're predicting another one because this is what politicians do. They want to keep America in fear so they can keep America under control. You need to turn off the TV, especially right now. Stuff going on all over the world, not just here, all over the world. And if you're not careful, you're going to buy into it. You're going to be depressed by it. You're going to be overly concerned. I look and say, you know what? No weapon formed against me is going to prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me is going to be refuted. And, and you just keep saying what the word says. So I got more enemies than you can count. Though my enemies come at me from one direction, they flee in seven. God's got this. The problem is when you get fearful, you get angry. Christ does not validate our sinful behavior, but he does validate us as people in the midst of our sin. In other words, when we are in Christ, we remain validated by Christ. Now, our sin is an action, a behavior, but that's separate from our person. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Now, not every action is righteous. But we live in a world filled with judgment. We live in a world filled with judgment. You know, if you go back to, to religious days, at least the church I grew up in, they had about what I would call five significant sins. I will probably share a few of those with you. I remember the church I went to, if you were divorced, you might go to heaven, but it's very possible you would go to hell. And for sure, you couldn't do anything in the church if you had an idiot for a spouse. I mean, a, a person <laughs> that didn't quite make it with you. And, you know, that was, I, I mean, literally, you could not do anything. You couldn't pastor. You couldn't be a part of anything. Because that, to the church, was a significant sin. 
And I'm thinking, again, I always go back to gossip. Gossip is one of the most, uh, it's one of the worst things that you can do anywhere, anytime. Most people don't think that way because they think they're just sharing a prayer request. Yeah, you've been sharing it for the last year in detail. It's not a prayer request. This is called gossip. But you can serve on the board. You can serve as a pastor if you gossip. But God help you if you married the wrong person. Well, the other thing we couldn't do was play cards. Mm-mm. You're going to hell if you had a deck of cards. Yeah, one of the queens was kind of not all dressed, I guess. I don't know. Haven't found her, but I was told something like that. And yet when I look at Jesus, Jesus went seemingly, according to the religious people of his day, he went to all the wrong places. He hung out with all the wrong people, with tax gatherers, drunkards, murderers. He hung out with all of them. And the Pharisees were mad at him all the time. But Jesus knew where he needed to be and where he needed to go and who he needed to help. But we have, we have categorized sin to fit our own lifestyle. You know, it, it, there's always this, these different things that people label. See, these are just a couple of significant sins. And, and, of course, the church I grew up in, Jesus didn't turn water into wine. It was grape juice. Well, you haven't read the Bible close if you, if you think that's the case. But that's how they made it. So if you did, you're definitely going to hell. And I'm thinking, hold it. I think Jesus had probably got a vineyard in heaven. Now, see, some of y'all watching this right now, you're how, you, you like hate me. I love you. But all I'm saying is we have attached God's promises to religious things, behaviors, that we think if I do this, then God, God's going to bless me. God's going to bless you because you obey him. All you got to do is read Deuteronomy 28. I mean, you don't have to read anything else in the Bible. If you read Deuteronomy 28, he said, if you do these things, here's what I'm going to do for you. And the list goes on. And then if you don't do these things, here are the curses that befall you. And God says, it's not me that's actually doing them. It's you opening your heart to either one. You open your heart to the blessing of God by obeying God. You open your life to the curses of God, if you will, or the curses by your disobedience to God. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want the best for you. It just means that you have invalidated his promises by doing your own thing your own way. Nothing will separate me from the love of God, but there are plenty of things that will separate me from the blessings of God. That was about 50% good, I guess. No, this is what we don't understand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That's the beauty. That's the promise of God. He is love. He loves you. But I promise you, you can be separated from his promises and his blessings based on what you believe. I've heard people say, I don't want anybody to know I give. I just want it to be pure. And I'm thinking, That's, that, that is a misunderstanding and I know their heart is probably good, but 
that's not accurate because it's not about, uh, you know, somebody knowing whether you gave or not. It's the attitude with which you give. Nothing wrong with somebody knowing. Well, I don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Well, we're talking heart here, not hand. I mean, Jesus himself applauded the woman, the widow that gave a mite. He talked about her giving. He applauded her giving. He used her as an example of giving. So when people say, well, you know, I just, I don't need anything. Well, you know what? He said, if you'll give, it'll be given back. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That's a promise of God. But if you tell God you don't want that, you invalidate the promise. And you won't let anybody bless you. And let me tell you why you won't, because you have pride. It's not about purity. It's a pride issue. I don't want anybody to give anything. I want to be the one giving to everybody. I don't want anybody giving to me. Well, give them my name and number. I ain't afraid. I want to walk in the blessing of God because when you walk in the blessing of God, it gives glory to God. And it shows that your father is a great provider, not just a great forgiver. Romans chapter 8, can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or cold or in danger, threatened with death? Even scripture says, for your sake, we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory. We're not talking overtime here. But many people feel like, and in the church I grew up in, the, the more downcast and poor you were made you a better Christian. Now, let me just tell you, that's hard to pitch to people who are doing well without God. Well, come into our world, and we'll make you broke, busted, and disgusted. How stupid is that? And yet, that was what religion did for years, communicating that if you had any blessing or wealth at all, you couldn't be possibly be a Christian. Guess what? I didn't want to be a Christian. I'm thinking, what? All of these promises, God said the wealth of the wicked stored up for the righteous. So if you get if you have some things and people are criticizing you for the things you have and you're not doing enough for somebody else and you know they're talking about Jeff Bezos and, and all these guys with these new rockets and why aren't they spending money on everybody else? I'm thinking it's their money. <laughs> they don't have to spend it on you. You can say, well, I just disagree. Well, disagree all you want, but I would start saying, God, I want what they got. See, and that just gets all over religious people. Well, I just don't need it. Well, good. It's fine. You don't have to have it. You don't have to believe it. But the reality is the promise and blessings of God are waiting on us. And I want what God has, and I don't even know all that is. Invalidation doesn't push God away from us. It pulls us away from his answer. 
When I disagree with Scripture, I am opposing the possibility that the promise is coming my way. God said, well, I'm going to give it to you, but you said you didn't want it or you didn't believe it was coming. And these are things that people say that lived the kind of life I lived. God could never love someone like me. Have you ever heard that? If you haven't heard that, you haven't testified much. You haven't shared Jesus much. Because let me tell you something. I've talked to people that never knew God, and this is one of the things they say. God could never love someone like me. Or the other thing they say is I've done too much. I've done too much. There's no way God could ever forgive me. I've done too much. I've got good news for you. You cannot out the cross and the blood of Jesus. You cannot out the love of God. And this is what I love about God is he looks at all mankind, 7 billion plus people on this thing orbiting around in the, this galaxy. And, and, and God's going, I love every one of you. And yet people have a hard time believing that they can be loved and accepted. Being overly sin conscious, listen to this, affects our God consciousness. If all you ever look at is the wrong you've done, you'll miss out on the right that God has done. I mean, some of y'all don't count your blessings, you count your sins. You go around every day, I can't believe I did this. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe, I can't believe. Start saying, I can believe that God could forgive me for that. I can believe that God's going to bless me. I can believe I'm going to obey and walk in the glory of God. The devil will keep you focused on your sin, your shortcomings, your mistakes as much as he can. Because it's a distraction that keeps you from focusing on all that God has for you. Believe for the best and believe the best. Only people who have allowed God's validation will believe for his best. One of the greatest testimonies that any of us will ever give anybody is when we've gone through something disastrous and we went through it and we came out. I love testimonies and stories of people that didn't give up when it looked like their world had come to an end. There's just no way anything good's going to happen. That's what the devil wants you to believe. You've done too much. And you believe it. Winston Churchill said, I, I am easily satisfied with the very best. We ought to all embrace that mentality. I am satisfied with the very best. Maintaining a validation awareness keeps us focused on God's favor instead of our judgment or man's judgment. It's very difficult when somebody comes up to you and says something to you from their point or place of conviction. You see, we all have different convictions. There are people who believe that 
if you're not doing enough for the homeless, you're really not saved because they have a conviction, a passion for the homeless. And I have a passion and love for the homeless. I, I mean, it's very hard for me sometimes to not be able to do some things I want to do. But that may be my conviction. That may not be yours. You may have a conviction about going into senior citizen homes and, and, and sharing and participating. You may have, like Jesse, a conviction about going into prisons. And Jesse could easily say, well, everybody ought to be doing what I'm doing. Well, first off, they ain't going to let everybody in. You know, it's not like you just walk up and say, I want to preach to the convicts. No, you've got to go through a whole bunch of stuff just to get in. And so rather than judging somebody, Jesse could easily say, well, we, you know what? You're just not doing enough for the people behind bars. But you know what? That may not be your conviction. That may not be your call, but it's his. So for 27-plus years now, he's been going into prisons and having to go through all the steps to get in and deal with all the mess and all the stuff. And, and it's dirty, it's nasty, and I thank God he called you. It's not easy. And it'd be easy for Jesse to go, because it's not easy... I blame everybody else for the problem that we have. He said, no, I'm called to go in, and I'm going to be a solution to the problem. Whether you all go or not, I'm not judging you, but I'm going in, and if I don't, then I'll have to deal with God because that's the call on my life. You see, just because you believe something doesn't mean everybody else has to believe what you believe or live the way you live or do what you do. If Christianity would stop looking around at what everybody else is doing and start looking in the mirror at what we're doing or supposed to do, everything would be fine. I mean, I have all kinds of problems with people sitting in front of TV for six and eight hours a day. That's my conviction, and it's not a sin to do it. But in my world, it's a loss of time. But that doesn't make me right. And if I say that, and I come against you what you're, the way you're living, I'm not your God. I'm not your judge. I think you ought to push away from fried chicken a little bit. There you go. I'm just going to get in everybody's mess this morning. If you come back next week, I'll know it's God. But we, we just, we've got to quit looking at everybody else and telling them how to live. And we want them to live the way we live so we can feel like that somebody agrees with us and that I'm living right. I don't need for you to agree with me if I'm living right or not. That's between me and God. It's between you and God in your life. I think people ought to come to church more than they come. Sitting on your booty at home. But see, that's my conviction. Church has been a part of my life for a long, long time. I look pretty good for 100. But I think people ought to be in church. I think people ought to physically show up and come to church. I think people ought to participate in church. That is my conviction. It's not everybody's conviction. And much to my surprise, many of you slothful, I mean people who don't attend, will actually show up at the pearly gates with me, which really irritates me a little bit. That you've got to sleep in, go to St. Mathras Cathedral every Sunday, and do nothing for God, don't worship God, you don't do squat for God, and you're going to heaven. That's an irritating thought. 
I'm being a little bit sarcastic, not totally. But think about it. You get up, you get ready, it's, a, it's an off day, and, and you're coming to the house of God. I have a conviction. You say, well, you're a preacher, you should. Trust me, as a preacher, there are days I don't want to be here. But my conviction drives me to get up because y'all are expecting to hear something. So, I don't want to be separated from the love of God or the blessing of God. I want it all. And I know that some people who are hyper-religious, you want to keep driving around in your 1992 Toyota, and, and you think that makes you righteous. There are people, that's how I grew up. Some of y'all never grew up. The, the, if the car was bad and you didn't have, you were considered close to God. Yeah, there are a couple of you feeling me right now. And a couple of you go, I have no idea that ever happened. No, I'm just telling you, the church. I didn't want to go to church because that's what I thought. That's what I was taught, and that's what I thought. And, and you know, if that's your conviction, I'm fine with that. I don't care. You can drive whatever you want to drive. But don't get mad at me for driving what I like to drive. I have a conviction about cars. I think I ought to have a good-looking one. Pastor, you're just so shallow. Well, there's nothing wrong with the shallow end. I'm still in the water. <laughs> and I don't float well, so I just like to lay on that and just swim out right there. See, we need to validate people in the midst of their wrong the way God validates us in the midst of our wrong. You don't go up and tell somebody that, that they're stupid. They already know they're stupid. They don't need your help. They need someone to tell them they're wonderful. You know what? You're awesome. And they're just doing something really dumb, and you know it. But you know what? They don't need your help. I mean, I'm just telling you, if you start talking about who people are supposed to become instead of how they're acting, they might just become who they're supposed to become. If all you do is beat up on people for what they've done, you shall too be beat up. You reap what you sow. Our communication doesn't change God. It changes us. Because God's already made his statement. So God's going, what you say is not changing me. What I said is what will change you. And, and so sometimes people pray and they want God to change when in reality prayer changes us to line up with what God says. So when I pray, I'm not praying, God, I need you to do this. I'm saying, God, you said you would do this. You say, well, doesn't God remember? He just loves hearing us say what he says. Looking for a landing here. It's always harder times you just can't find a strip long enough. All you have to do is go back, and I'll close with this to the best of my ability unless a really great thought comes after this one. 
when Jesus is having a conversation with Peter, Peter was a, uh, he was a piece of work. And, and so, you know, he said, Peter, feed my sheep. And Peter said, yeah, and he, you know, and, and he's having this conversation. Peter was always just in a mess, cutting off ears, uh, denying that he knew Christ. He was just one of those guys. And yet, here's what Jesus does. Jesus says, Simon, you'll be called Peter, which in the Greek is Petros, which means a piece of the rock. Jesus would be Petra, the rock. Peter was Petros. So Jesus calls Peter something that Peter can't even spell by speaking to who he was to become instead of who he was. That's how God works. So if your kid's being an idiot, you just keep telling them, you are so brilliant when you just want to destroy them, and you could. Say, you know, I just cannot believe how smart you are, and they're doing something totally stupid. They will all of a sudden begin to think about what you say. You shall have what you say. And Jesus looks at, at Simon. You shall be called Peter. Petros, a piece of the rock. Guess what happens at the end of everything after Peter denies Christ, tries to prevent them from taking our salvation by cutting a guy's ear off to prevent him from getting to Jesus and taking him to be crucified. Peter, at the end of his life, said, I want to ask you to not crucify me right side up. Because I'm not worthy to be crucified as he was crucified. Crucify me upside down. And they did. Jesus spoke into what Peter would become. Not who Peter was. He validated him. We need to validate one another. We need to validate the promises of God. We need to quit talking about what people are doing or not doing. And talking about what God wants to do in their life. I make mistakes every day. The only time I don't is when I'm sleeping and I think sometimes my dreams violate God. So even when we're asleep, we're messing up. There is no hope without him. And with him, nothing is impossible. You may unfasten your seatbelts. Let's pray. God, you're an awesome God. We thank you so much for validating us, sending your son to die on the cross for our sin. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to pray a prayer of salvation. The Bible does say all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And those of you who have yet to do so or feel like you need to call on that name again and say, God, please, I'm coming back to that right relationship with you. Pray this with me. Say, Father God, thank you so much for loving me so much that you gave your only son to die on the cross for my sin. Jesus, thank you for giving your life for me. Today I give my life to you. I repent of my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I prayed that prayer. Uh, and, and this is your time of coming into relationship with God. I want to ask you to text the word SAVED to 405 513 
405-513-10. Just text the word saved. And, and, and it, it, it begins that process now. You'll say, I started my journey with God. Do that right now. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Crow. I just want to take a quick moment to thank you for joining us online. We hope you have a blessed week this week and get to be a blessing to those around you. I want to invite you to join us at Mosaic Church OKC next week at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. or join us online. God bless you.